Conservatives. Hello. Is that time already? It is. I was just taking a nap. Okay. All right. (laughs) Anthony Smith. Yes. Zach Strickland. Hello. Well, I'm Anthony Smith. You're Zach Strickland, and this is Freightonomics. It is Freightonomics. What is Freightonomics, Anthony Smith? Freightonomics is our podcast where we bring together the latest trends in the freight industry and the economy. Put them together. Now we have Freightonomics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Novel idea. What a mix. What a mix of stuff. So we've got... We have, we have basically, you know, the whole world essentially has gone off the rails here in the last couple of weeks, and yeah. we are going to ride along those rails right along with it. That, if I can say ride along more than once or twice. Yeah, please. Let's keep a counter. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep a counter. Yeah, no, we are, we are definitely going to ride those rails and talk about the current situation with coronavirus. But we're also today, you know, you and I were talking earlier this morning, and I think I think there's a lot of value in basically running down different avenues of how the coronavirus will impact the economy here in the next six or six to seven months. You know, I know it's not going to be something that we can do with 100% accuracy as no forecast is, but I think looking down the road and seeing these different possibilities about what, what we could be looking at in September, October, November, as, a re- as it relates to what's happening right now, because that's really what the stock market right now, if anybody's got a 401k, please do not look at your 401k right yeah. now. It is all, everybody's jumping out of their boat right now. It's, it's looking pretty grim, down 2,000 points as of the podcast right now. Uh, that's um, bad. That's not great. No. You know, but it is what it is, and you're not going to gain too much uh, by looking at that right now. So, Again, the whole concern over this coronavirus is we're losing production, we're losing economic value. Anthony, I've asked you basically to base to make this show, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. itself. Uh, we're going to talk some freight. We're going to talk, but we're going to really focus on a lot of this macroeconomic situation. Um, I'm going to insert some of the comments uh, here and there, but I want you to really think about. And I, I've asked you; you've already. Per- prepared this it's not like i'm asking you on the fly like some jerk but (laughs) (laughs) i think i mean you kind of are zach yeah i sort of did this morning you're gonna gonna throw me some curveballs i'm sure of it yeah i probably (laughs) will but i i i'm not gonna ask you anything too crazy and of course our debate at the end i might throw you a curveball here or there oh boy but you know something we need to do as a country as a a global economy we need to be looking down the road i mean a lot of the investors are obviously panicked they're trying to figure out what's going on we've got a lot of different sectors a lot of moving parts here you know a lot of places are shutting down operations they're they're you know they're not they're trying to limit exposure coronavirus is you know in some ways a cold and also in some ways a life-threatening disease so there's a huge range of implication here uh, you know, as we try to mitigate, you know, that whole curve, I think everybody's looking at, you know, the whole point is saying, we just don't want to see our healthcare system overwhelmed. We don't want an Italy situation as being reported over there. For those of you not familiar, Italy, of course, reporting uh, exponential uh, curve in terms of case, new cases and subsequent deaths. Yeah. Um, and other uh, Iran, another country that's showing a lot of increasing cases. So I think that's over the weekend that kind of spooked everybody. And, uh, you know, we're basically trying to figure out a way to avoid that as much as possible, which I think is wise. I right. don't I don't think that, you know, our economic uh, situation is worth, 
you know, thousands or, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives, if we can, if we can do it, I mean, we will recover economically. I don't think that's, that's a question. The, the question is, how long will it take to recover economically? What is the, what is the trough economically speaking, yeah. you know, as domestic and also global, um, you know, as it pertains to freight, uh, right now we are seeing a, a tremendous amount of freight moving through the system. Right. Uh, the outbound tender volume index, which we track here at Freight Waves, is 21% higher than it was this time last year, uh, which is that's that is the most significant year over year increase in freight volume that I have ever seen. I mean, we are we are in uncharted territory. Right. Eventually, that will run out. People will eventually have to moderate their activity. We're at the early stages of the coronavirus hitting the United States, the domestic economy. We do not have enough statistics right now to really uh, tell what's going to happen here in the in the next uh, you know several months. But I've asked you to try, you know, your best as we go through some of this. So, uh, that being said, uh, you know, we need to dive into some of what's going on. So I, I just wanted to start off the show a little bit of a little background, and then I'm going to pass it to you, Anthony. And I want you, yeah. I want you to go down each individual segment. Oh and, boy! And I want you to I want you to dive as deep as you can or feel comfortable with. And in, in the relation to the coronavirus and what it's going to do, because again, we're all connected. If you're in yeah. transportation, industrial economy, you know, service economy, it, it's all part of this same organism. We are all part of this same thing. What's happening in China is in, is impacting what's happening in the United States. What's happening in oil is impacting what's happening in retail. Yeah, and and so we really all need to be cognizant of what's going on in all of these moving parts and figure out how to handle them most effectively. So, also. Before you jump in, uh, just a quick reminder that we are streaming live right now. Um, So I will be, you'll see me looking back and forth at my monitor. We are live. So we, I will be monitoring the LinkedIn comment section. So if you have any questions, comments, feel free to to chime in. Um, We're also streaming, I think, on YouTube. So I'll be switching back and forth between LinkedIn and YouTube for all of your comments and questions. All right. So yeah, chime in with any questions. Feel free to uh, you know post on social media, etc. We'll, we'll be monitoring those. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and get started. So the coronavirus itself. I wanted to dive in a little bit over the origins of the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, just because I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating to see how this works. Uh, so the whole theory behind the origins of the coronavirus. It's a lot like SARS. If those of you that remember in 2002, 2003, we had an outbreak coming out of China. And it was also a coronavirus. A coronavirus, again, just a fancy term for the way that the virus appears. It has these little nodules on the top of it, you know, shooting out. And that's the way that it infects the cells. Yeah. Epithelial cells in your respiratory tract. So epithelial. Epithelial. These are basically the surfer, surface layers of your, you know, your skin is an epithelial cell. But also once you get into your nose, mm-hmm. your throat, et cetera, your lungs have epithelial cells. These are the barriers between, you know, the outside world and what's happening inside of you. Yeah. Uh, and this is what viruses are programmed to attack, and they are designed to penetrate those. The reason that these things have evolved uh, in theory, and we haven't proven this, so it's important to note that, but a lot of the theory, which is based on a lot of science, and I believe it's probably pretty accurate, Yeah. based on the fact that the wet markets in China, these are places where they do live slaughter of animals uh, in the Chinese markets. Again, China did this because out of necessity, essentially in the 70s. These started uh, early 70s, late mid 70s, where they would get these wild animals because mm-hmm. they couldn't feed their they couldn't feed their population. Their right. starvation rates were high, uh, so a lot of people went out and captured wild animals: bears, ingots, 
bats, eagle, like anything you can name wild that's not a domesticated animal, they would go grab. They'd put into these markets and they'd sell them as so they could actually eat and live and survive. Right. You know, that's nobody's going to blame them for that. Unfortunately, what it's evolved into is this tonic-based inter- industry, mm-hmm. and it's a 1.5 billion won industry over there. Which again, it's huge. If you hear billion in anything, that's a yeah. huge number. Yeah. But it's in terms of the overall economy of China, it's not that big. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty small fraction of it. And it's, it's, again, it's less than a percent, I believe, in overall Chinese economy, but it has a huge lobbying element to it. So right. just like we have in America, there's a lot of lobbying interest. This is those people that are basically, they got a lot of money and they're saying, hey, I need you to support this and keep this in line yeah. because I like it. Yeah. So this tonic-based industry, you sell an eagle claw and it says, hey, you buy the, you eat this eagle claw, you're going to be super strong and mm-hmm. powerful because this is what an eagle is. I might take a bite. Yeah. But the problem with this is, they stack these animals on top of each other mm-hmm. and they're defecating and urinating on top of each other. It provides the perfect environment for these viruses to skip species yeah. and evolve into different stuff because you think about it. These things are evolving and moving and, and replicating really fast, a lot faster than you and I. Mm. So they have multiple generations over a matter of days that yeah. you that just increases your chance for evolution. It can jump into different species. So this one is thought to have come from a bat to an ingot to a human. 40 out of the first 60 cases are said to have visited this Wuhan wet market, which the Chinese government probably already knew, shut down immediately. Yeah. Um, And it's from there has spread into a worldwide pandemic, which we see today. So hopefully the Chinese government has learned its lesson finally because the SARS virus has supposedly started in a different wet market in yeah. southeastern China uh, in 2003. It just did not spread to the extent which the coronavirus had so far. So the reason that is important is because you have to understand the connectivity between each segment of the world's population, the economy, how these things move, how fragile we are uh, as a species. Right. <laughs> if that's not being totally prevalent and on the front page of everything now it's 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 got to be so what that means is that we need to figure out a way to you know hedge ourselves from yeah. all this yeah and a, a lot of what we've done so far has not done a good job we will of course learn our lesson hopefully in the united states there's only so much we can do but as a world economy we are all connected and we need to be very cognizant of that and that is my public service announcement for the day <laughs> you did good Zach. you did good so, Anthony Smith, yeah, this is where I kick it to you. Oh, boy. Here we go. So, we've got a lot of people, you know, basically pontificating about what this means for the economy here over the next few weeks, months, years. Uh, I would like to hear, you know, we, we've got certain industries that are going to be more involved than others. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about it. I actually was on uh, Great Quarter Guys with Kevin Hill yesterday. We talked about it a little bit, saying that certain industries such as, you know, apparel, Retail in the stores is going to be more hard hit. Airlines, of course, extremely hard hit. Yeah. And then there's going to be things like, you know, software, you know, some of these gaming sites, uh, Netflix, for instance, should actually benefit from some of this to an extent. Right. Clorox, obviously doing really well in the stock market. One of the only things that's doing really well in the stock market. Um, So... My question to you is what sectors of the economy do you see being good indicators of what we need to really prepare for here in the coming months? Like, what are we looking at down the road? So I think the big thing that we need to really all be watching, um, I talk about it all the time, 
is the consumer. Uh, the consumer, of course, the backbone of the U.S. economy. What happens with the consumer is going to be what happens with the overall economy. Um, and so when we're looking at all these ripple effects, this is where it's going to start. Um, one of the areas that I'm going to be watching closely on a week-to-week basis is going to be weekly jobless claims. I'm expecting this to go up. The last few weeks have been down, um, surprisingly. Uh, but I'm expecting some upward momentum, upward movement here for weekly jobless claims. Um, and when I'm saying like watch the consumer, I think it's going to be really important that we are making sure that we're prioritizing life over financial gain, because I think that's going to be the big takeaway here, um, first and foremost. But when we're seeing more and more unemployment rates, when we're seeing that um, consumers aren't in a stable position because not everyone's going to be able to work remote. Not everyone's going to be able to crack open a a laptop or or do what they're typically doing. Um, There's going to be a big consumer base that's going to be either service-based or or in industries that they can't call in, they can't open up a laptop, they can't do these things like you and I can. Um, So that's going to be where I'm going to be really focusing in on because a large portion of the consumer base is going to be around the service sector. Um, and so this 70% is 70% of the U.S. economy, correct? Yeah. 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 So, um, so services define what services are. So for those of you, for those viewers that aren't, you know, certain what that is. Sure. So a service can be anything that's provided for. So like, um, I, I haven't gotten one of these in a long time. So if I go to the barber and I go to get a haircut, <laughs> that's a service or, um, uh, say taxes. Um, you go to an accountant to go get your taxes on. You can still do your taxes online, but that's a service going to the dentist, um, a teacher, uh, um, professions that you typically do in person or exchange in person. So these are things that really can start to be impacted uh, from the coronavirus. Also, things that aren't quite in those same areas, say construction Mm -hmm. or um, things like that, uh, a mechanic, um, those roles might not be or might also be impacted uh, greatly that aren't also really kind of considered in this same landscape. And so I think when we're looking at the impacts of the coronavirus, we're going to have to start looking at them uh, consumer, and that's really going to be around the employment aspect of it all. Um, so as I, I mentioned, that, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, the employment number is probably one. I, I saw something yesterday reported on a, maybe a Fox News or something like that mm-hmm. that said that there was somebody that reportedly saying that there's a 20% unemployment rate coming. Do you think that that is uh, a, re- a real potential or do you think that's more on the high end of things? I think that's definitely more on the high end of things. That's an aggressive figure. Um, I mean, I, I also take the typical unemployment number with a grain of salt as well. Um, just because you also have to factor in the participation rate and all these other things. Um, so there's that, but knowing that the most recent unemployment number was at 3.5, um, but this was in February. So we're, things are a lot different. In February, things are a lot different from last week. They have changed rapidly. So yes. To add color, I, I actually saw uh, you know a thing on social media the other day about this guy who went on a sabbatical into mm-hmm. North Carolina. He went into the woods for he was planning on going to the woods for eight weeks. Good for him. And how do you afford that? But you know he was he basically said, guys, I'm going off the grid. He's shutting off electronic social media, et cetera, for eight weeks. It's got tons. It got like 32 million hits. Yeah. Because uh, one of his employees actually reported it on Twitter, and everybody was fascinated by this. Because when he left on January 25th, 
he was walking back into a totally different world when he came out. <laughs> I can of only it. imagine. Kobe's dead. Yeah. <laughs> coronavirus yeah. is yeah. all the sports are canceled. Coronavirus has taken over the world. Um, I and he he literally it was it was interesting to see just how it unfolded. It's like he thought it was a joke at first, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, yeah, this is real. Right. Right. I can't imagine what that's like. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I think I heard something similar about. Um, some reality TV show contestants yeah. have been shut off to everything. And now all of a sudden they come back and 2020 is not what they thought it was. I, I can't imagine what that's like. So yeah. to that, to that point, like, I mean, I think we're going it, to, it's, you know, for us here at Freight Waves, we walk into a new world almost every day because yeah. we are extremely connected to a lot of things and a lot, you know, we see a lot of different companies where we're of course a tech company first, data company first, and then. So all of our data is showing us something new that we that is actually hitting a lot of anomaly triggers. You know, if, yeah. you, if you're in statistics, you'll know what this means. It means like every day we're hitting a new barrier or a new threshold that's giving us an alert that's saying this does not look right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, especially in the truckload sector. And strangely enough, it's something none of us could have predicted. Yeah. You know, our best statistical minds, and we have a ton of smart statistical minds. A here. lot. I mean, Scott Worland is one of the smartest individuals I have Scott ever Worland, encountered. David Holt. <laughs> David Holt. I, all of Brad, I don't know if I'm Brad allowed Hill. to say his name in public. I don't know. Brad Hill. Brad Hill. Just all, Daniel Pickett is not that smart, but you know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> you also have Kate. Yeah. You know, Kate, yes. Dear the, God, Harvard the grad. Silent genius. The Harvard grad. Yeah. Uh, there, there's more than we can name. That's obviously they're all extremely brilliant and none of their models uh, could have predicted what we just went through or what right. are going through right now. Um, so that being said, Anthony Smith, yeah, what do you think six months from now, what are we going to be doing in terms of economic, you know, outlook? What are your best guess? Obviously I can't hold you accountable to this because like <laughs> I said, all of those people could not predict what just happened over the last week, let sure. alone, you know, in six months. So, but I would love to go down the possibilities of what you think, because we're obviously going through durable goods, mm -hmm. extremely valuable right now. We saw the guy out of Hicks in Tennessee, just up the road, go out and try to profiteer off of buying hand sanitizer. He got a ton of pub, national media, social media, et cetera. And yeah. he's, he's definitely going to get his comeuppance, but um, you know, that's a durable goods sector thing. This is going to diminish. And what does that look like? Moving yeah. Forward? Yeah. And, and quick shout out to Reed Clements, uh, who just chimed in on, on LinkedIn here saying most local freight uh, has been in warehouses for a while. Warehouses are being emptied quickly and it's causing a massive uh, surge in domestic freight that can only last for so long, though. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, to, to kind of expand on that, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a, a huge spike and people making i think what they've they've coined it panic purchases panic buying um but i mean let's let's be honest mm -hmm. this is going to last for several weeks if not months yeah as we systematically shut down restaurants people can't go out to get food i mean obviously takeout still going to be a thing but uh, they're they're going to be less and less able to go and and then go restaurants they're, they know at this point they can't go to the grocery store and reliably yeah. get you know, just basic things like chicken or ground beef yeah, or yeah. flour even. I mean, all the staples are pretty much cleared off of shelves. Like that, that seems to me like it's got a little bit of a longer, you know, and then again, people have to eat. 
Yeah. So even when it does kind of roll over and people stop buying toilet paper and paper towels because they have enough to last them through the next three Armageddons, yeah. uh, you know, eventually the food products will level out, but they won't go away entirely. Exactly. I and mean, people are still going to eat. They're just going to buy less toilet paper, paper towels, Lysol, of course. Mm-hmm. Does this, you know... And again, I think I think to your point, the jobless claims and the unemployment is probably the single most important thing to watch. Um, yeah. Do you think that we do see a pretty significant trot there? I mean, the government yeah. has just gone through a couple of things. Uh, they're they basically are opening up the money vault. Yeah, yeah. saying like, "Hey guys, we got you. Yeah, we're going to float you through this." Uh, the a thousand dollar. I, I, I want to ask you this real quick, and then I'm, I swear I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> $1,000 to every American. Yeah. Is that e- an economically feasible solution? I don't think it's a, a, a solution at all. Um, I mean, for some, that's going to be a huge, you know, I wouldn't say life-changing, but it's going to be a situational changing thing. Um, but is it going to be enough? I don't know. I, I think the big thing is going to be is something that's sustainable, some kind of sustainable benefits for those that are going to be impacted throughout um, this whole ordeal. Where for So, Zach, just for a disclosure, I'm not really one for a lot of government intervention uh, policies. I'm not really one for all of that. But um, if we're going to do something like that, I think it's going to be really something that we have to make sure that we're taking care of those who are going to be impacted the most um, from uh, this downtime. And so to circle back to something you uh, referenced earlier is what does the coming months look like? What do they what do they look like? And so I think the big thing is going to be the second quarter is going to be horrific. Um, oh, really? Even think, for the good side? I think the second quarter is going to be horrific. Uh, I, right now, when we're looking at the latest numbers for retail sales, um, again, this is for February. There was a 0.5% uh, monthly decline. Um, so nothing too not- insane. But this was the largest decline in a year. So the consumer has been chugging along. And this was in February. So I think there's probably going to be a nice little maybe jump up from all of the panic buying that's been happening over the last couple of weeks for sure, Um, especially for grocery stores. But um, I think now that we're starting to see uh, retail stores shuttering, um, clothing stores, things like that, going offline completely, that's going to be a major impact to the market. Of course, they're going to have those online behemoths like Amazon and all those other um, uh, stores that might really uh, rely heavily on their e-commerce counterparts um, that might fare a little bit better. I'm sure it's going to fare a lot better because the comparison is going to be absolutely zero. And that really <laughs> um, that really takes me back to a few weeks ago when we start talking about some of the impacts that's going to be happening within China um, because it was during their Chinese New Year. Um, and one of the things that we're saying that is going to impact them significantly because even though we were expecting d- decreased activity within China just because we always plan for Chinese New Year, we know it's going to be reduced activity. But within China, that's a big retail season. And yep. so August, September, typically the, you know, for those of you that are involved in the maritime stuff, the imports, which everybody should be, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a you know in a small little asset-based floor covering carrier for a long time, and I ignored China entirely. Also, uh, the import volumes, it, it all it all matters yeah. uh, to an extent. You know what's happening over there impacts here. If that's not the point of my PSA that I gave earlier, 
hopefully you understand it <laughs> now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it all matters and you need to be cognizant of it. And there's just so many variables to, to consider in these equations. So yeah, can go ahead. With yeah. That. So I, I think one that the area that we we're really looking at was that, okay, consumption within China is going to be drastically reduced because people are going to be self-quarantining. They're not going to be able to go out. Um, the stocks that are really exposed to um, those luxury goods that are have really been popular in China over the last couple of years, now that China has this growing middle class and upper middle class, are also going to be impacted. Now that's been echoed here, we're seeing stocks just completely just drop for the most part. Um, what do you think about the stock market? Like, what is what is that economically speaking? Like, when you're looking at the stock market fall, like it's falling, do you take that into consideration into the future? Uh, I myself, a finance person, yeah, I have been more and more disconnected from the stock market and mm -hmm. taking it seriously over the past years uh, in terms of any economic indication whatsoever because yeah. it is it's quant driven. Quants, of course, are the people that build these algorithms that are basically trying to predict, you know, where they can limit their losses and maximize their gains. It's an algorithm based on recent history. The problem is, is that it becomes a self-fulfilling mechanism and then it feeds itself. Uh, and then again, the hedge fund manager, we had Seth Holm on last week, yeah. who did a fantastic job of telling us, you know, hey, we're not immune to, you know, the emotions of the outside world. We have to consider that they are going to think that we're not doing our job when we're losing a lot of money. Yeah. So as an economist, what, how much stock do you put in the stock market? I, so I don't watch the stock market too much or I don't, I don't really look to gleam any kind of like economic insight from it just because it is such so quant driven, as you mentioned. Right. Um, I, I see it. Me and Andrew Cox used to have this game when we sat next to each other. When we look at the headlines of the latest stock movement, it's like stocks hit record high then drop. And it's like, okay, you've told me nothing. And so it's just like a lot of movement, but the sustained movement, when it's just been down, 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 it really kind of tells you a lot right. about the state of the overall economy. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm just looking at it and it's just a bunch of noise, like it hits a record high, it drops today, it goes up again. It's like, I don't really gleam a lot, a lot of insights from that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm looking more to the underlying fundamentals of the overall economy. Oh. You're speaking my language. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Am a, I'm I'm in the Warren Buffett camp, uh, the value investor. You know, you get in the game for a little while. You obviously there's a lot of gambling involved in the stock market nowadays, yeah. and they're they're like I said, maximizing gains, limiting losses. That's that's the name of the game. It's it's any game of poker. You yeah. got a 51 percent chance of winning. You're trying to hit that 51 percent chance, which puts you on top. Right. That's it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm I'm in, I'm that same camp as well. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, but yeah, that's, that's as far as I, I go with uh, stocks and all that stuff. But I still, um, I am a sucker. Zach, you know this. I am a sucker for consumer confidence and consumer sentiment. Oh, and so, here we go with the feelings. You knew it was going to come around sometime. See, so. you don't like the stocks, which is basically feelings. <laughs> yeah. And now you're going to tell me yeah. you like feelings. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect segue as well. And so <laughs> um, well, that's one of the areas that I think is really going to be something to keep an eye on is that consumer confidence okay just because there's a lot of psychological stuff going into this right now when we're looking at the panic buying when we're looking at people stockpiling toilet paper and uh paper towels and all this other stuff hand sanitizer um anthony i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and say for once 
Yeah. I do agree with you. <laughs> I, I do feel like we... You heard it here, folks. Yeah. For, for once, I am in agreement on, yeah. on the feelings. Uh, that's what's moving the short-term yeah. situation. Yeah. It's not going to be the long-term situation that matters. And I'm more of a long, long game guy. Yeah. Uh, but the short-term, absolutely. What we're seeing right now is all feelings, all emotion-based. Uh, you know, this remote lifestyle that we're going to get into is going to create even more anxiety uh, there's a transition in culture. There's a transition in society. All of these changes are going to com- compile <laughs> into this one big emotional mess. We're all going to need, uh, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, opioid to uh, <laughs> really manage it. But at the same time, it's real. These are the things that are going to move our near term in the next four to eight weeks. Yeah. You know, we're all going to be living at home or, you know, working from, you know, some remote environment, isolated I was a psych miner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I do recognize the value of feelings to an extent. And these are the things that will move the economy here in the near term as you can walk in through the, any grocery store and see that. And I think that it will show up in production levels mm-hmm. as people are isolated. Uh, you're going to see decisions becoming less efficient. Uh, you're going to see people, you know, not as connected to their workforce as they once were. Mm-hmm. It's going to create a lot of anxiety and they're going to make these decisions, which will create inefficiencies. And you'll see this reflected over time, uh, especially here in the near term. Um, something I wanted to break down real fast. You know, we looked at the Goldman Sachs investor call. Uh, I wanted to summarize a few key takeaways, which I thought were fascinating. So, yeah. You know, as we are going through this emotional time, consumer confidence, as you're going to dig into here in just a second, mm-hmm. and what you expect it to go through, I think it'll look like a big wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, we're going to see more infections. Mm-hmm. So they said 50% of Americans can expect to get this. Whether that is a mild version or an extreme version, it's not exactly clear, but the majority, it will be a mild version, 80 to 90% won't be extreme. It just depends on your age bracket. Of course, the age bracket that is most concerned is the 65 and older. Yeah. Uh, but they do not consume a lot, nor do they produce a lot. Yeah. So economically speaking, you know, healthcare wise, yes, it's a big deal. But in terms of where, again, I'm not trying to be insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents are over 70 and I obviously don't want them to be involved in this. Everybody mm-hmm. here knows, you know, all, a lot of people's parents are over 70 in this building. Uh, but at the same time, economically speaking, not a big factor in the economic well-being yeah. of, of the country. So 50% of us will get this. Mm-hmm. Chances are it's, it's, it's going to happen. Now, the peak season anticipated, and the CDC has backed this up, over the next eight weeks. And what is more fascinating to me is that it's a warm-weather virus. Uh, or not a warm weather virus. It's a cold weather virus. Mm-hmm. Between 30, The virus concentrations are between 30 and 50 degrees latitude. Yeah. It's going to be us effectively until the summer happens. And then hopefully there's some diminishing level. So that's why we're all staying at home. We're trying to flatten that curve as long as we possibly can. So our parents and grandparents, et cetera, do not get, have to deal with a lot of this. Um, And, and so that, that hopefully will, will mitigate that somewhat. Now, a lot of what they're talking about is going to have a significant impact to the global GDP. Yeah. 2% global GDP. What does that mean to you? That's a significant drop uh, on a global scale. So tell us what a normal global GDP is. So typically normal GD- global GDP is, is typically positive. I mean, it's not typically going to have uh, huge percentage swings like 3% GDP, global GDP gain. Or it might, I'd be happy to see like maybe a 1.3 or something like that. 
1.5, I'm not expecting like a 3% global GDP gain. So when you're looking at a 2% drop, that's pretty significant. Okay. So that's, that's pretty concerning to you in yeah. general. I mean, yeah. we're all, like I said, we're all connected, PSA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's so that, what do you think that transitions to domestically? Uh, domestically, like I said, I think that's going to translate to certain contraction in the second quarter. Yeah. Um, I think we would be lucky potentially to eke out the first quarter with a, a, a gain I w- already before the coronavirus really kicked off. I wasn't really expecting a large or really a significant gain in the first quarter. I think maybe there might be a slight tick up from all of the panic buying that uh, was really facilitated over the last couple of weeks. Maybe that would be enough to help kind of spur and make up for some of the downward movement we're going to see in the remainder of March and some of the weak results we saw in February. So I'm really interested in seeing what that looks like. Um, of course, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of support coming from business investment, especially during the, the, the March month. So I'm very curious to see just how impacted March has been in the first quarter GDP number. Um, of, of course, like I said, I think certain contraction in the second quarter and then third quarter, I would be also hard pressed to, to kind of forecast any kind of overt rise. Um, I'm still working through my forecast right now to kind of see yeah. where that's all that all that's going to kind of shake out. Um, but I, I do think that uh, the the big takeaway is going to be um, because okay, so circling back to me not really being a fan of um, a lot of government intervention, mm-hmm. but in support of giving out um, aid to those who are going to be impacted by um, this this outbreak or this pandemic. Um, the hard thing to really predict is human behavior. You pull one, one string and then all these other things come apart, but you're trying to focus over here. You push this button. Now this is leaking. So one of the things I'm really is going to really kind of be pivotal to our recovery is what happens from these proposed stimulus packages. Okay. Um, so we saw interest rates go down to near zero. Um, it's only going to do so much if people aren't making money or exchanging money. Exactly. And so, and banks, they're in the business of making money. So, okay. So let's pause there for a second. I'm mm-hmm. kind of going to go off script here for a second, because this has been on my mind for a bit. Uh, you know, there's, you know, having been in a business before, mm-hmm. if you shut your business down for a couple of days, it has a near life-threatening effect to your business. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be numerous businesses that are shut down for weeks yeah. on end, if yeah. not months, yeah. uh, or see dr- enough business lost that they will, that they just don't have the cash flow that they used to have. Yeah. What is the solution to that? We are, we are literally on the vert. Like there has to be something because there's going to be so much mm-hmm. of that happening mm-hmm. uh, that there will have to be something that comes in to stabilize it. And I know the government you know, I, I'm with you on the whole mm-hmm. government intervention thing, mm-hmm. but in this scenario, I feel like the government and the banks have a responsibility fiscally mm-hmm. to their own long-term health mm-hmm. for this to be mitigated to some level. So what yeah. is the action that they need to take other than, I, I mean, my personal opinion on the thousand dollars is that's a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. You're giving a couple of people, a couple of weeks rent to mm-hmm. live and then, but they're getting fired, you know? Yeah. So, 
So what next? Like, so that's the thing. I think uh, when you're looking at uh, support for these businesses from the government aid, I, so that's why I'm talking about the button. You push this button here, and this and this starts, you know, leaking over here. You know, the unintended consequences. If things go according to plan, <laughs> and uh, the money goes to where it's supposed to go, intended to go. Um, I would like to see this going to um, businesses that are looking to support their employees. Right. And so because um, I, I think that's going to be the big thing. It's like, all right, this restaurant shutting down, this barbershop shutting down, this dentistry is shutting down, whatever the service might be, this factory, giving them support so they can pay their workers. Right. Because I think that's going to be the, the significant overhead for them and really going to be a part of our recovery story. Um, because when we get out of all of this, the psychology, the sentiment aspect, uh, the consumer confidence aspect could be shaken more so than the pandemic itself. So people can be stuck in this mentality um, that can really outlast the actual pandemic and the actual sickness. And so that's going to be something that we're going to have to really kind of factor in. And so I think there's going to be a line of items that really have to kind of go into play in order to make the next three, four, five, six months um, the most productive as possible. Um, I think one of them is going to have to be kind of going back to certain regulations. Um, I think it's going to have to really be something that's going to be conducive to um, accelerating all of this. And so part of that is going to be um, supporting the medical sector. Um, so oh, no doubt, <laughs> yeah, they are going to be over, are and are going to continue to be overwhelmed. Okay, um, I think uh, faculty uh, facilities, um, uh, those professionals that are within that segment, are going to be dealing with a lot. And so, the quality of healthcare needs to remain high, but at the same time, there still needs to be, I think, some type of streamlining um, to really kind of add to the those in the trenches that are really kind of helping us out dealing with this pandemic. For and sure. so I think one of the areas that we would need to see for a sustained or accelerated recovery is going to be perhaps um, you, you take some of those healthcare workers that recently retired or are able to work that want to come back. Ah, that's interesting. That would be, be nice, right? Yeah. So you get some of those back online. Right. Um, or, or on the other end of the spectrum, uh, maybe you get, I think... Uh, you saw some of this in Europe. You get some of those that are are nearing their end of their academic studies within the medical field, and you kind of streamline them into action. Mm-hmm. Now, what an entry this is, but still, y- we need to keep that quality high. And so that's a big takeaway here. And so I think if we're going to look at um, really helping out the nation, I think we need to focus all efforts and all eyes and all attention on the medical field over the next few weeks and months. And so um, I think that's going to be really uh, pivotal for the medical field. Um, and that's really going to, of course, you have those loopholes, like say, um, I'm not I'm not too privy on all medical fields, but I'm pretty sure, Zach, if you were a, a, a nurse or a doctor and you're practicing here in Tennessee, and if you go to Wyoming, there might be some kind of leap. Well, Point being, my wife is physical therapist. Yeah, uh, the lovely Kimberly, mm-hmm. and she obviously she doesn't have a direct line of sight to the uh, you know to the virus itself, but at the same time, her whole business is impacted by this. Yeah. So 
what is she supposed to do? She's at higher risk, et cetera, for mm-hmm. exposure, but she's also supporting like the overall well-being. I mean, the physical therapists and, you know, all the other, you know, the nurses and, and everybody around the world that maybe not, doesn't, they don't have a direct line to the virus itself. Nurses, of course, do, but, yeah. you know, th- there's there's a lot of other healthcare services that are going to be impacted by this that don't necessarily deal directly with the virus. Yeah, Um yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot of support to that because the infrastructure there, if that fades or deteriorates in any way, we're going to have a bad day. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. And, 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 and to that point, I kind of want to pull that back a little bit mm-hmm. to, you know, as it, I think everybody kind of recognizes the fact that healthcare is super important of the utmost importance mm-hmm. in the near term. But some of the other industries that, you know, Moody's put out a report mm-hmm. uh, that says here's going to be the high impact and the low impact uh, industries. And of course, automotive, auto supplies, higher impact. They, and I think that's kind of a downstream effect as employment goes down, people aren't buying as many cars, et cetera. Right. Imports, of course, a big part of that, uh, coming from overseas apparel clothing is not considered to be super essential at this point. So anybody that's hauling apparel, uh, out there, uh, should expect some diminishing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. freight volumes there. I know we had a caller in the other day on our coronavirus special that happens every Tuesday, Thursday mm-hmm. at noon. For those of you interested in the consistent updates of this, uh, that said they're actually, you know, diminishing their amount of work on the, on the trucking side. Mm-hmm. He said, we're, our hours are going down on the pickup and delivery side. And I said, well, what are you hauling? Yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of trucking companies out there that haul very, you know, a lot of pertinent freight, such as recovery items, mm-hmm. et cetera. You know, the, the reefer carriers out there and the uh, people that are hauling the freight to the grocery stores, the Kroger's and Publix's of the world, and some of the Targets, Walmarts, et cetera, Costco's, of mm-hmm. course, being a huge one. Uh, they're going to see a huge increase in volume. Right. But those that are hauling, like, some of these not necessarily essential items, people mm-hmm. aren't buying as many you know, t-shirts or, mm-hmm. you know, shoes at this point in time, because they're more worried about getting chicken, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that type of stuff or pasta and rice is, as it is. I think that's, that's going to be interesting to see because there's, there's a, there's a weird, like you said, with the retail sales, mm-hmm. you thought that maybe we might see a little bit of a balancing act in terms yeah. of this amount being spent. But again, it, it's, it's all going to shake out eventually. And this employment level is really going to be the thing that determines how much people are going to spend here in six months or so. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, and it goes back to the, the sentiment and the mentality, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you do have it, if you're getting some kind of benefit and you're now you're on a, a more fixed income than maybe you were before, maybe you are a little bit less likely to spend because you're not certain how long these benefits are going to last or when you're going to be back uh, into the workforce. And so I think there's going to be a lot more hesitancy to spend, um, even though maybe those who are um, able to work remotely and don't have too much of a, uh, a uh, that fear of losing their job because maybe they're, it's just, okay, business as usual. I've been working remote this entire time or um, business as usual because now we're able to easily transition to a, 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 a work-from-home environment. Maybe the first week or two, they just kind of blast open that Amazon and like, you know what, I'm bored. I've been in, inside for so long. And they start going through e-commerce stuff or whatever, but yeah, Amazon hiring a thousand or a hundred thousand more employees due yeah. to the surge of e-commerce. That is tremendous. Yeah, and this may be the rise. I, I think there will be some stickiness 
mm-hmm. the change in culture here about how people will start ordering food online. They'll get accustomed to things that they weren't necessarily motivated to do before. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more e-grocery, which was already growing, mm-hmm. a lot more e-deliveries in terms of food services, et cetera. So this is going to open the doors to some new things. Like every downturn has something You know, even in the 2008, 2009 downturn, Mm -hmm. you saw the rise of technology come out of that. Uh, A lot of, um, a lot of these apps that you see nowadays Mm -hmm. actually started in 2008, 2009 from people that were laid off. Yeah. You know, they, they were bored at home and then this huge technological revolution occurred because of this downturn. So there will be things that show up here in the next couple of years that are a direct result of people kind of breaking out of their shell. Yeah. You know, we were overdue for this. Whether we like it or not, mm. and it, obviously we don't like it, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it, you know, the economy needed some sort of, you know, come to reality. You can't always grow at a consistent rate all the time. And this is one of those moments that, you know, we are going to see some things thrive and some things, you know, have a really difficult time. So, yeah, I think with that, I mean, the huge kick is going to definitely be for those in-person retailers. I mean, that was already struggling, right? Those typical mm-hmm. department stores. Now those are shutting all together. I see, you know, headlines about Macy's shutting down stores, mm-hmm. all these other malls shutting down. That's going to be hard to come back from when you're already kind of struggling. But that was already, a, like yeah, you said. it's going to be hard to come back from. It was already from. a dying model. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and in and, and, and my mind, and again, I'm not a proponent for anybody shutting down or going through difficult times. We all hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are things about this that will clean up some of the, you know, the struggling environments and, and, and hopefully, you know, you're not one of them, anybody out there, but at the same time, uh, you know, things do progress. They do get better over time. Uh, that even though we do have those little troughs and those moments of retraction, Mm -hmm. we start expanding again, eventually it will get better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More than likely we are pretty resilient. So let's talk about instead of some of the ones that we know are going to be, you know, having a more difficult time, such as the airline industry, et cetera, but the government's going to bail those guys out. It'll be fine. Mm. Um, you know, eventually yeah. it's not going to be great right now. The hotel lodging, that kind of stuff is going to be hard. Uh, let's talk about some of the people that might do better. Now, some of the things they listed here, food and beverage, of course, doing really well right now. Mm-hmm. It will continue to do well. Even after this initial surge of buying, those people are still going to buy food yeah. and beverage. It'll, it'll be fine. It's going to be low impact. The one thing that does kind of shock me a little bit is the real estate and the Mm. construction sector. Mm -hmm. Now, before 2008, 2009, we all kind of consider real estate immune to these economic downturns. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Um, So, I mean, I'm happy to hear that that they also think it would be a low exposure. And I I think um, on our monthly webinars, I noted that that would be, I think, uh, an industry that would be slightly... Um, less exposed to the next recession, whatever mm-hmm. that might come or whatever it might be from. Um, but there are, I think, some uh, uh, headwinds for construction and real estate. And I think um, one of those, of course, being uh, consumers feeling, is this a good time for me to take on that big of a purchase if I'm a first time home uh, buyer? Um, for new homes coming up, I think we look at uh, potential supply chain issues if we're looking at materials that might be coming in from China. other countries or China or things like that. Um, we're also looking at uh, available labor. Um, those, I mean, I, I think that would be a, a segment that if 
just thinking of the mentality of those that maybe are involved in the trenches and construction, maybe they're just like, Hey, I'm just looking for work. You know, yeah. like, uh, I would think that the labor costs would go down because uh, people are more concerned about their jobs. You mm-hmm. can find employment a little bit easier, et cetera. So that should actually help that. I, I think potentially. And, but I think, um, the area that I'm interested to see what happens is with this low near zero interest rate market, what's going to happen to those mortgage rates are, is, are those also, cause they're already at historic lows, right? Are they also going to come down or are, are banks looking to kind of capitalize on some of these and like, Hey, right. can I just kind of make money on this spread here? So I think that's going to be an interesting area to watch to see what just happens to mortgage rates. Um, I do think that there's going to be a little bit more, uh, attractive market, especially as price points come down. We've had a lot of pent up demand, um, over the last uh, few quarters, and people are just waiting for a deal. Um, so far, it looks like the housing market is doing just fine. Yeah. I mean, again, we're still really early yeah. in yeah. this whole cycle, and it's going to be difficult to see moving forward. But yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of shocked to see that that one is one of the low-impact uh, industries uh, that's you know, not necessarily going to get as hit. Telecom and media, I think they're going to thrive. This is yeah. going to be their time to shine. We're obviously part media company here. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're doing a podcast, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but the uh, you know the telecom and media is going to have uh, people are going to be tuning in. I remember nine eleven. I could not stop watching mm-hmm. the CNN and and all the updates. Even though I was like, I know they're not going to tell me that much more that's different from a minute ago. Yeah. But I couldn't stop watching. Right. And that's right. kind of what, you know, we're seeing now. We, we can't stop watching. We can't, even though we know. Well, even now more than ever, I mean, yeah. with so much social media and connectivity oh. on every aspect and all, every platform. So I think that's going to be anywhere and everywhere. And so I, I definitely agree with um, media and social platforms really being uh, a low exposure, but a high what do you think the, growth area. So what do you think the best sector to be in at this point in time is? To put you on the spot. Mm. I'm going to give you a second. I'm no, I don't a need a second. You don't I, need I, a second? You, you, you kind of talk to it a little bit, like Clorox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything so, that's in the medical field that, that could but, be aligned with disinfectants. Right. I'm going to make it, I'm going to put a twist on you. Uh, yeah, Clorox. No kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Lysol. What do you know? Yeah. Even though P&G is going down for some reason, I don't understand that whatsoever. But at the same time, so other than, you know, your food's, you know, tell me, tell me something that's a durable good. Mm. So I'm talking about my freight people out there. You know, I'm the freight side of this whole yeah, equation. Yeah, your service yeah. stuff, I get it. The service stuff is going to have some problems. But what's the sector on the durable side that you mm. see being good? So I'm thinking about my truckers out there that want to haul some freight. Medical supplies. Medical supplies. And that is a total, that is such an under the radar piece of freight that mm-hmm. moves in the system. It mm-hmm. is one of the most expensive. Most of it comes from China yeah. and Asia. Uh, comes through the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. Yeah. Tremendous amount of that. A lot of it goes through Atlanta. Hint, hint, all of you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, truckers out there. There's huge medical equipment, uh, you know, medical supply stuff that comes through all of that stuff. Savannah, New York, New Jersey, obviously, but there's uh, you know, that to me is kind of like if I'm, if I'm a freight person, if I'm working at an asset based, if I'm working at a brokerage, 
I'm thinking about what's my commodity that's my safe haven right now. You have to think about a financial, you have to think about it in terms of like what a financial market person would think about. Mm -hmm. If that's my advice to anybody out there, I was a finance person. I resisted coming into transportation. Craig Fuller dragged me (laughs) into this kicking and screaming. Yeah. And I, I am now realizing 20, you know, 15 to 20 years later, why I, I should have listened to him. Yeah. You know, I was, I was like, I'm going to go work with stocks and bonds and all the finance stuff because that's what, that's what, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Not, not wall street. Trucking is 100% a financial market. It is Mm -hmm. 100% a bunch of commodities. If you are a financial broker, if you are a broker, you know, brokering freight, if you are a asset, an asset based carrier moving freight, you need to think like a financial market person and mm-hmm. think about what commodities do I need to haul over the next period of time? Because that's, that's, that's how you hedge your freight. That's yeah. how you balance your network. Yeah. Uh, these commodities, this PNG, if you have a PNG brokers, a ton of freight, anybody that's been in the industry for five seconds knows that. Yeah. If you are a carrier, I'm going heavy on PNG right now. I'm going yeah. Kimberly Clark. I'm knocking down their door and I'm saying, Hey guys, I got 500 trucks for you. Yeah. What yeah. do you need? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think medical supply is huge. Medical supply is massive over the next little bit. It's going to take a long time for these things to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, this is why we combine freight and nomics. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Together is, is so you guys can see these connections between this environment. I know I didn't think about it back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically yelling at myself. Uh, is what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm yelling it 10 years ago, Zach. Yeah. Saying, hey, pay attention to this stuff. Because uh, well, this is how you are. You, yeah. This is, how, <laughs> this is how you identify opportunities mm-hmm. in a market. This is what you want. I know that's not what you want in terms of an environment to live in. We None of us want this. But these volatile moments in time are where people make and break their, you know, their success or failure. I mean, this is, this is where you, this is where you have to figure out where's my opportunities, where's my weaknesses, do your little SWOT nonsense analysis. But at the same time, it's pretty clear cut to me that there's opportunities out there in times of volatility. A month ago, there was not a lot of opportunity because there wasn't a lot of disruption in the market, but now you can take advantage of all that. And of course, one of the reasons I came here is due to the fact that that's what we do. Yeah. We're yeah. looking for these volatile moments. It's not all year long. We, we don't have a lot of volatility in terms of, you know, most weeks it's pretty much like, yeah, that's, that's happening. And here's some moments here and there, whatever. But now, you know, we're at, I guess we're less than 18 months out yeah. from our last black swan event. Yeah. So this is becoming more and more regular uh, in, in today's world that we are seeing these disruptions. You cannot go to work every day and just expect, oh, business as usual. Yeah. And it won't be that way probably for the rest of the year. Do you think that's accurate? I don't think, it, no, I think I think it's, this is going to be something that's going to be on the mentality for folks for quite some time. Um, and, and one of the things that, paying attention to the, to the LinkedIn comments here, we have William Rufu. Uh, also kind of, you know, piggybacking on some of your sentiments, Georgia Pacific based and guess what? Georgia, probably water would be consistent. So looking at, um, you know, look, looking at, you know, areas in your local regions that might be, um, drivers for freight, as you mentioned, um, that would be really pertinent for this, these times. Um, one of the other areas that you, we kind of touched on a little bit, was uh, other black swan events this was not quite a black swan event but this was a huge event all throughout 2019 and an economic inefficiency oh yeah tariffs 
Yeah, the trade war. Trade war. And so there's not a lot of talk about trade war stuff right now, but... Even though it had more of an impact to import volumes than the, than the coronavirus and Chinese New Year to this point, which yeah. I think is something that's underscored at yeah. this point. This yeah. is not... We, we actually went through something pretty significant on the maritime sector. It didn't necessarily translate to a dramatically different uh, world or environment as far as we know, but the freight world was dramatically hit by this. Yeah. Yeah, and it didn't I, get on Fox News. That I mean, it did get on Fox News, but it mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't hit like, and people weren't necessarily. They eventually were like, ah, it's it's a thing. Yeah, we'll get yeah. through it. Nobody yeah, and it. I mean, <laughs> because it wasn't very impactful to I think I think many consumers, yeah. but something that's going to be really pivotal to our recovery, um, and I think that's what this whole thing is about: is our recovery and how to navigate this is really those economic inefficiencies, right? So when we're looking at uh, this, the, the landscape of the, what's going on in the world, this plant pandemic, this isn't really the time for trade wars or, ta- or tariffs or anything like that, especially when it comes to goods that really pertain to medical supplies or any type of aid that might assist recovery. And so I think if we can really kind of look at, I think, uh, employment assistance for those that are going to be impacted directly because they can't uh, phone in or call in or, or you know, telecommute, um, and also looking at uh, really providing as many resources as possible to the medical field, whether it be with more people, um, those that maybe just exited or maybe those that are coming in and how they can all assist and come together and add more quality numbers to yep. uh, overwhelmed population. And, and additionally, elimination of potential tariffs that are really kind of surrounding medical supplies that could really uh, get in the way of this whole recovery, yeah. not just for people in the U.S., but throughout the globe. So I think those are going to be key things in our recovery. So I, I just want to, you know, we need to wrap up here for real quick because we're running mm-hmm. out of time and this has all been amazing. But, you know, one of the reasons that I came here was freight futures. Yeah. We have this thing this tool and a lot of people in the transportation industry don't know what futures are. This is the reason they were created. Yeah. If you want to lock in, you know, your exposure to spot market volatility, freight rates, et cetera, it doesn't matter if you're on the spot market or not. They allow you to hedge yourself in times like this. Yeah. And you know, if you haven't looked into them, you should, um, this is this is what the financial markets are doing right now. They're trying to hedge themselves against more risk, and that's why they're falling so fast. So, that being said, Anthony Smith, yeah, uh, abs are more important than biceps. Uh, important to who? Everyone. For what? That's like functionality? Just yeah, in general. Or aesthetics. It's the core of your body. Yeah. You lose an arm, you lo- here and there, you're gonna function. Yeah. You lose your core. You're falling over. Yeah, I think I think for functionality. Yeah, but that's all I'm gonna say. I will take a sweet bicep peak over a set of abs any day aesthetically. Okay, I'm just saying. All right, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for watching. Abs are more important than biceps. Uh, we all know. I'm right every week. Aesthetically, and, nah. Yeah, and and functionally. Sneak <laughs> <laughs> that one in there. <laughs> control the ending. You cannot do anything. (laughs) Too far. That's how you slam the door. (laughs) Not an argument. I wish I had that with my wife. Laptop is done. (laughs) Yeah.